Well, as you sit, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We return in our series in this epistle to where we left off, and we are now beginning a new chapter, chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. Our focus text this morning is going to be verses 1 through 8. 1 through 8. Join me once again in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would shine its light into our hearts this morning, that you would open our hearts to receive your truth, to stand on your truth, to take joy in your truth. We pray that your spirit would bring these things about in us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the holy, inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of God, written for you and for me today. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. For you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? The ministers through whom you believe, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, beloved, the wisdom of the world is out in the open, in front of your face, vying for your attention, readily available for everyone to hear, receive, and act upon. But Paul impressed the saints in Corinth and does to us today that Although the world would say their wisdom is right and good, it's really not. It's really foolishness. Godly wisdom, heavenly wisdom, is that which Christians everywhere ought to listen to and embrace regarding Christ and Him crucified. And further, a view and embrace of Christ and the gospel requires spiritual discernment. Paul also taught us that, didn't he? Paul knew that to rightly discern and understand Christ and his work, the Holy Spirit would have to open eyes, ears, and hearts. And why is this true? Because true wisdom is divinely hidden wisdom. True wisdom is divinely hidden wisdom. What is hidden by God, remember, has to be made known by God. Remember why God chose to hide his wonderful wisdom. So that Christ's mission of redemption would be accomplished. We learned that in chapter 2, verse 8. 
Now, in the marvelous work of the Holy Spirit, he both reveals and teaches. And thinking about his work of revelation, it's important to remember that men and women can't think up, we, we can't put together, we can't dream up God's plan for his people on our own. We would sit and we would think for weeks and weeks and weeks on end and still not know any tiny detail of his plan. He has to make it known to us. And as the Spirit reveals the truth, reveals true wisdom, and shows us the wonder and the power of the gospel, he is also about the work of teaching, instruction, and application of that which he's revealed. Never forget that. Never forget that. But also never forget, considering Paul and his preaching, that the truths of God and the gospel don't need to be garnished by human skill, don't need to be flowered with human words that are truly best in the words that the Spirit teaches us in and through the Word. So praise the Lord that, that He has given us then the mind of Christ. Praise the Lord that the Spirit is at work in us and blessing us and giving us the ability and the understanding to know and to hear who Christ is, what his example is, and what he calls us to do, as, as well as the ability and the desire to do it. Praise God that we know and believe Jesus' thoughts given to us in his word and that are confirmed to us by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul goes on in our text this morning to address matters in Corinth regarding the unity of the body and the growth of the body. So let's consider Paul's rebuke regarding the milk that was needed for babes in Christ in verses 1 and 2. Divisions in the church being evidences of the work of the flesh in verses 3 and 4. As well as his words regarding the planter and the grower in verses 5 through 8. Look at me with me at verse 1. Paul said, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. Now, now, as we think about this verse, our mind should be taken back to what Paul said in chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, where he said, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Because they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them. And why? Because they are spiritually discerned. The verse 15, that he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And so Paul wants the saints, he wants us to, to go back in time with him. Right? Reflect. So he wanted the saints to go back with him and reflect on Paul's time with them. He wanted them to know that though the Corinthian believers were spiritual, because they had received the Holy Spirit, they were actually acting carnally. They were being driven by fleshly desires. They were acting immaturely, like spiritual babes. And the saints were likely quite shocked by Paul's words. Wait a minute, what? Uh, for having the, the higher knowledge of the world, 
the philosophical prowess, they could speak the language that the world enjoyed and thought was valuable. They could enter into that plane of discussion. They thought that they were the super elite in spiritual maturity. And wait a minute, Paul's calling us babes? You know, our church has a lot of babes, a lot of babies, right? And that's a blessing. It's such a blessing. And thinking about them and their physical and emotional immaturity, their dependency on their parents helps us with Paul's point. For as people grow in age and stage, there is an expectation that they will also mature more and more as they grow. And like Paul explains later in this letter in chapter 13, verse 11, he even reflects and gives an example to be an illustration to them, to the people, when he says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. My friends, the same is true spiritually. Through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, God's people are grown in grace, in the knowledge of God and His Word, in the knowledge of Christ, in obedience to Christ and His commands, and in how we think, speak, and live. And so this is the reason for Paul's rebuke. The Corinthian saints weren't progressing as they ought. And in large part because they were messing around with sin and the wisdom of the world. This was a big part of their problem. And so what did Paul say that he had done? In verse 2 he says, I fed you with milk and not solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able. Now notice a few things here as he continues with the infant's analogy. Paul was a faithful pastor. He was faithful to feed the people. Like a good mother does her baby, Paul fed the saints with milk, with basic truth that they were able to digest. Remember in the scriptures, milk can mean the rich, pure truth of the word, like Peter refers to in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. It can also refer to what Paul is describing here. Right? Secondly, Paul's words regarding the saints not being ready for solid food teaches that growth principle. Children of God should be progressing in sanctification, should be growing in knowledge and maturity. Beloved, the, the Christian life isn't a stagnant life. Some of you may have heard me say that before, but I'll say it again today. The Christian life is not a stagnant life. One truth is foundational to another. One builds and expands on another, and we develop and we grow to be ready for that solid food, to be ready to go from milk to meat. We're ready for the next level of spiritual development. But this problem wasn't only in Corinth, was it? Now, the writer to the Hebrews taught his audience a similar lesson in Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. And there we read, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk, 
and not solid food. And notice verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk is what? Is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are, full of, who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And thirdly, we see that as Paul rebukes the Corinthians regarding the kind of food that they digested when he was with them, he now rebukes them because they are still at the same level. They haven't made any progress. He couldn't take them to the next level because they weren't ready for it. And he saw that as a problem, and they needed to as well. But think about even what the writer to the Hebrews was saying again in chapter 5. Think about that, what the truth of verse 14, solid food belongs to those who are of full age, who have, by reason of use, exercised their senses to discern good and evil. We see time. We see progress. What is true of a baby, right? What is true of a baby? He nurses on his mother's milk in time. He then graduates to very fine, solid foods, growing to more substantial, solid foods. There are steps, there's progress, there's progression. The same is in picture here. Those who are full age are those who have, by reason of use, they've been practicing, they've been eating, they've been chewing, they've been digesting the Word of God, they've been growing, they've been progressing step by step. And they grow in discernment, the writer says. But the Corinthians weren't ready. They weren't, they weren't able to receive, still, what Paul was wanting to dish them. What Paul was wanting to serve them. Where Paul wanted to take them next. And that was a disappointment for Paul. And it should be for them. And again, why weren't they ready? It all tied back to their fleshly living, Paul said. Look at verse 3. For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Paul's scolding them here. It's very similar. Remember that Paul addressed divisions in the church early in chapter 1. He had already touched on this at the beginning of his letter, and now he's coming to make another layer, another addition to that truth and to what he wanted to impress upon them here. They needed to see another aspect of what was true and what was problematic of the envy and the strife and the divisions that were among them that had festered and were tearing apart the church. And so he clearly called these things sin in chapter 1. And here, he made the connection and wanted them to make the connection that their fleshly desires and the, the sins of envy and quarreling and division that were in their hearts and evident fruit among them was destroying relationships and the peace and the unity of the church. Paul drew the hard line. Envy strife and divisions have no place and must not characterize the people of God. It must be dealt with. It's not okay. It's not good. It's not right. Even though some people 
Some bodies may get used to it being among them. We're actually going to see another aspect of this in Corinth in regards to sexual immorality that he addresses in chapter 5 in incest when a man was having a relationship with his mother. And nothing was being done about it by the leadership of the church. It was allowed to, to sit and happen in the body. It wasn't being disciplined or dealt with. Paul had to address that. But when sin festers, when it is allowed to simmer and exist in a body and it starts to grow up and it starts to bear fruit, it is a terrible, terrible uh, witness uh, within the church. It creates problems within the church, but it also creates problems without the church. As people on the outside are watching and observing and seeing and saying, oh, yeah, that, that kind of church. They seem to allow that kind of stuff over there. Paul, in his reorientation on many things and recalibration in the Corinthian church, was saying, it's not happening here anymore. This must stop. For the glory of God. For the honor of Christ. This must stop. It has to be dealt with. It is not right for your witness, for people to say, yeah, that characterizes him. Envious, mm-hmm. covetous. They fight a lot. They're divided. They don't get along together. They have factions here and there, even within the body. It's amazing that they can even stay together. He says it has to stop. It has to be dealt with. And beloved, we too must not excuse such behavior in our body. Again, if we want to say, Woo-hoo, we're glad that it's out there and not in here. Yeah, praise the Lord. But our guard needs to be high and consistent. Our hearts need to be aware of the idolatry and the sin that can fester and crop up within just like that. To where we want to go this way and you want to go that way and you want to go that way. No, 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 no. We have to be honest, self-examining, humble before the Lord, keeping sin out and dealt with in our own hearts, but also as a body. We must not let envy take root, pit us against each other to where we take sides. But notice then that Paul goes on to make a more precise connection with his words and example. He says, for when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? The people had gotten used to saying those things, right? They had these, these factions within the church. They knew who was in what camp and who was in the other camps. They knew it. He's like, do you not see what's going on? Can you not recognize this? Are you not just acting in your flesh? Isn't that just carnal to the core? It is, but you need to see this by God's grace and the Spirit's work. So clearly those who had made such statements didn't see that what they said or the things that were going on under the surface fueled those statements to be a problem or sin. But Paul's point was, see how these statements are fleshly, how they're damaging sectarianism, and how that is another example of how you're acting like mere men, how you're acting like the world when you claim such divisions. And it's a spirit-wrought conviction. It's it's a spirit-guided teaching and shepherding and influence that is driving Paul to promote and to protect such purity, to restore such purity in the church, 
where it has been damaged. Why? Why can we say that? Because Paul was one of the ones who they were saying they were following. I'm a Paul. Paul could have said, yeah, look at my people over here. I'm Paul the Apostle. That's not what Paul said. He said, knock it off. That's not who I am. And he's going to go on to speak to more of that point here in a second. And so what was Paul's desire then and how the saints looked at him and Apollos and others and considered them? What lens did they need to look through? What knowledge did they truly need to understand and correct in their own minds and hearts? Look at verse 5 as he talks about the planter and the grower. Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. My friends, Paul and Apollos were ministers and only ministers. Nothing more. Nothing more. Paul wanted them to know that. Let's wipe the fog off your glasses. Let's clean out your heart. Let's, let's recalibrate your view of me and of my fellow brothers here who are leaders and who are guiding and teaching you and ministering to you. That is all that we are. That is all that we are. Paul stated this another way in 2 Corinthians 3.3. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. Paul knew that they were the work of God. Paul knew that he and Apollos and Cephas and all the rest, they were the work of God. God was at work in them. Paul and Apollos were servants of the living God. They were servants of Christ. They weren't lords over the saints' faith, nor authors of their religion. Paul and Apollos were but instruments in the Redeemer's hands who faithfully preached the gospel into the people's ears, and they were mere messengers of God's saving grace to sinners, God's saving grace to them, as he had gathered them into that body. And it was God who was pleased to give his people faith and save each one through their ministry. My friends, the same is true of me. I'm nothing but an instrument, a servant, a minister. I desire nothing else. Don't consider me to be higher than that. I merely am here to proclaim Christ, to care and to love you as God has called me to do. But I point you to him. He must increase and I must decrease. But to further clarify their role and remove the fuel for divisions, Paul uses here a planting or a farming analogy to explain how the Lord used his servants in establishing and growing his church. Look at verse 6. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And so see the planter, the waterer, and the grower here. Paul was the church planter. His aim was to preach the gospel in places 
where the good news of Christ had not been heard. And we find this to be true in Acts 18, verse 4, where Paul said that, and it was said of Paul, that he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Paul desired to take the gospel into dark places, even within these cities, that they would hear the wonderful news of Christ and by his saving grace be saved, redeemed, and part of his beloved. And so he was a good planter. Look at Romans 15, consider verses 20 and 21, where Paul says, And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. Again, Paul, like a faithful servant, took the name of Christ far and beyond the places where he had not been heard of. And so like a farmer, Paul planted the seed of the gospel, and it grew by the divine grace of God. And Apollos then came and continued to water that seed, and by grace, it grew some more. But all of the growth, all of it, was from God. God gave the increase in Corinth. God gives the increase to every church around the world that belongs to God blesses and grows his church. Consider Solomon's wisdom in Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. My friends, many men have and many more will try to be personality pastors. They'll try to plant churches that are built on their shoulders, their smarts, their blood, sweat, and tears, and they desire the accolades for all that they have done. But know this. Heritage Presbyterian Church wasn't built and isn't being built by Carl Miller. It's growing and being built. The increase is coming from the Lord Jesus Christ, the great head of the church. And he has brought each one of you here into this body, even here today, maybe for the first time, to hear the gospel and the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, to hear about how he is building his church by his saving grace and how the church needs to clear all the muck and the sin, and all of the things that would cloud our view and our judgment and put praise and glory into other people and to honor other people and exalt them rather than Christ. And Paul says, no! All the glory goes to God. He builds the church. You are here because He has you here. He has you here. You are a part of this body and a part of his church by his design and will. That you may love him, that you may be fed and grow 
in the knowledge of him? That your life would not be a stagnant life, but that you would have great zeal in Christ to serve him. And to serve him in all of the multifaceted ways in which he calls us to. So like Paul and Apollos, again, my desire is to be a faithful servant of the king, praying for and watching his work and will be done. In many ways, my friends, I sit and I scratch my head and I say, man, praise the Lord for his grace and work, because it's not me. If it was up to me, we wouldn't be here. God moves and works and builds and matures and grows and mobilizes the church. And so as the Holy Spirit reveals and illumines our hearts and our minds more and more in the grace and the knowledge of Christ and how we must live, like the Corinthians, he shows us the fruit of his work for which we praise him. And he also uses faithful ministers and shepherds to recalibrate our understanding, to show and to correct and to even rebuke us about stuff that is true in us and of us that needs to be repented of, removed, and changed. For we can be much like the Corinthians, my friends, and having a spiritual arrogance regarding our maturity. Sometimes it's awfully easy and tempting to say, I think I've arrived. I'm getting close. But keep in mind, you know, for those who are new in life or new in the faith, being spiritual babes isn't a problem. That is where you start. That is where you are, where you begin. And that, that is where you grow as you are being fed by the nutritious milk of Christ and the Word. But hear God's message to you today. You must not be content with staying spiritual babes. Again, the Christian life isn't a stagnant life, and by the grace and work of the Holy Spirit, you need to grow and move forward to being ready and then eating that solid food. And being fueled by that solid food in the ways that milk Sustained in the younger stages, in the earlier stages, but the way that that solid food then grows you deeper and deeper in the knowledge of God and His Word. And therefore, keep eating and, and be all the more hungry and committed today to, to fleeing from and dealing with sin in your life that stunts your growth. But also remember that all growth, whether growth in sanctification or growth in the church, it's all from the gracious hand and the will of our Lord. And so we must be devoted to prayer and praise. Praying that he would continue to build. Praying that he would be pleased to grow the seeds that are planted. And praising him for his most glorious work in his church as he expands his kingdom. God for his word. Let's pray.